Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. I really started diving into the topic of forgiveness and its importance for us as believers. I, I think that forgiveness is something that, you know, I, I learned a long time ago. Uh, it, it's, it's how I got into the kingdom. But the truth is, is that forgiveness isn't just how you got into the kingdom. Forgiveness is the oxygen that you breathe in the kingdom. That, that, that ducks quack, dogs bark, and Christians give and forgive. <laughs> it's what we do. We, we forgive. And I had not realized the pain of some of the things in my past that I hadn't fully uh, given to the Lord and released. And I think for us to move ahead, we have to tap into the supernatural power of forgiveness because our culture is uh, fading. It, it, is, it is fading in this virtue. Tim Keller just wrote a book called Forgiveness. And he, he says that America is, um, is in decline when it comes to forgiveness, that forgiveness was central because the Bible was central and forgiveness is central to this book. But as this moves to the peripheral of our society, so does the topic of forgiveness. And actually, if you're a victim in our current culture, you're given status, you're given a platform. So to, to issue forgiveness to anyone that has wronged you, it actually de-incentivizes you to forgive because of the platform and the status that you have. Are you with me? It's like cancel culture. It's, it's very powerful, but it's so anti-kingdom. And, and so I, I want to just maybe dive in a little bit into... Uh, your heart and just see if there may be areas of unforgiveness, areas where bitterness has taken root and that we surrender that to the Lord and get wholehearted today. Is that cool? Um, so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Numbers chapter 15. Put your finger there and then let's look at Ephesians chapter five. We'll be in those two places. Numbers 15, Ephesians 4, excuse me, Ephesians 4, verse 26. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, verse 26. It says, be angry. Everyone say, be angry. be angry. Do you know the Bible says it's okay to be angry? <laughs> be angry. Angry is a natural response to pain. If you're wronged, if someone else is wronged, a secondary emotion to that wrong is, is anger. Now, Paul continues, he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So in the day of pain, in the day of trouble, anger is a natural response, yet Paul says you need to deal with your anger in that moment. Do not give the devil an opportunity, or do not give the devil a foothold, and this is speaking about in your heart, that, that anger actually, if it's not dealt with correctly, opens the door for the devil's foot to come inside of your heart. And, and when the devil has a foothold in your heart, that becomes a motivator, and this is the next two things. He says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word as is good for edification according to the need for the moment so that it will give grace to the hearer. So it's an action and indeed, don't steal, don't, don't let unwholesome talk come out of you. This is the fruit of harbored anger. And then look at this, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then it says, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So this to me is a process I see of anger aging inside a heart. Now, anger ages like milk. Milk sours over time, and when anger is harbored in a soul, a soul becomes sour, and aged anger actually turns into bitterness. Bitterness is the result of the sun going down on the anger that happened in a day, and that anger that happened in a day, as you hold on to it, a day turns into weeks, week turns into months, months turns into years, and before you know it, your, your persona is actually filtered with a spirit of bitterness. Like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this. Can you throw that up there, Hebrews 12, 15? It says, uh, see to it, yeah, here we go. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble for by it many are defiled. So this is uh, one of the things the grace of God has afforded to us is that the grace of God's work in us uproots any bitterness that aged anger has produced inside of us. And Paul is exhorting them, don't fall short of the grace lest this root sets in. And if this root sets in, it will cause trouble. And it will cause trouble for the one who is rooted in bitterness, but then it will defile anyone that gets around them. So, so the trouble, the only other time this word uh, is used right here where it says it causes trouble, it's Luke 6. And it talks about those that were troubled by demons, those that were troubled by demonic spirits. So there's this demonic tie to the devil getting a foothold inside of your heart by harboring anger, this root of bitterness comes forth and you end up not only coming under demonic oppression, but you defile those that come near you. And culturally, I don't think we've been given tools to really process the pain of the past and walk in the forgiveness that Paul instructs us here. Something very powerfully happened to me in 2018. I was 42 at the time. And my high school uh, baseball program, I played baseball in high school and college, and my high school for the first year had this alumni baseball game. And so I came back and uh, I was excited. We were meeting old friends and I was up to the plate and I, I got a base hit. And as I got a base hit, I was rounding first and I heard this voice that I had not heard in 25 years. And he said, let's go, Mike. And I thought, oh my gosh, that voice. Let's go, Mike. And I was like, who's, he's here. And it was Coach Rowe, Coach Jimmy Rowe. And Coach Rowe wasn't a baseball coach. Coach Rowe was a basketball coach when I was in high school. And me and Coach Rowe had a history. 
because basketball was my first love. And my junior year, our team was supposed to be really good. There were high expectations. I was a starting point guard, and we laid a dud that year. We did not accomplish what we were supposed to accomplish, and the coach took out on me. Uh, he blamed me, more or less, for the, the bad season that we were having. I went from starting to, I ended up riding the bench, and like the last you know, 10 seconds of a game, he would throw me in. And I remember one time, I think it was the last game or near the end of it, he tried to get me to go in, and I was like, I'm not going in, the game's over. And uh, Coach Rowe was just fuming at Michael Miller, and, and, and I went to play baseball, had a good baseball season, and so coming back my senior year, I went in and I had a conversation with Coach Rowe. He thought I was going to come back to play, and I said, Coach Rowe, I don't want to play for you. Um, I don't want to play for you. And he said, his response to me was, I don't want you to play for me either. <laughs> And, and we ended up having this feud a senior in high school and, and, and this, this basketball coach. And I was, I was extremely hurt uh, by the way that he coached me. Uh, I was extremely hurt by the way that um, he treated me my, my, my junior year and not playing basketball my senior year. So here I am 25 years later at this alumni baseball game and I hear this voice. And after the inning, Coach Rowe runs up to me. And he goes, Mike, Mike, how you doing? I'm fine. <laughs> well, Mike, it's been so long. What are you doing? I'm a pastor. <laughs> he goes, There's, no, you're a pastor. Where are you a pastor at? A church downtown. Now, you know, I am like, I am walled off and ready to move on. He said, what's the name of the church? And I said, it's, it's, it's Upper Room, Upper Room Dallas kind of looked up and he goes, I think my daughter goes to that church. And I thought, there's no way your daughter goes to my church. <laughs> like truthfully, I was like, there's no way. And he goes, yeah, she, she was on the mission field with Heidi Baker. And I was like, your daughter definitely goes to our church. Like, <laughs> yes. And, and so I didn't recognize, he said his daughter's name. I didn't recognize it, uh, initially, but, um, uh, the next week, I was in our prayer room, and Carissa, his daughter, comes up to me and says, hey, I heard you met my, it's a stepdad, but I called him dad. I heard you met my dad, Coach Rowe. And I was like, I had no idea your dad was Coach Rowe. She goes, yeah, he really wants you to reach out to him. Can I give you his number? And I'm like, sure. So she gives me his number. I put it in my phone, and I mean, I'm, I'm done. I move on. Well, like six weeks later, I run into Carissa again, and uh, she goes, hey, uh, uh, coach, told me that you didn't reach out. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been busy. And she said, well, he, he really wants you to reach out now. Um, he, he recently got a diagnosis, and he would like you to come and pray for him. And I said, well, what was the diagnosis? And well, they found uh, some can cancer, his, his bladder cancer. And so I, I sat down, and after she left, I sat down, and I, I didn't call him. I texted him. I'm like, I heard you got a report. I'm sorry, praying for you. And immediately my phone rings. <laughs> I'm like, hey, coach. Mike, thank you for texting. I had to call. I said, I'm so glad you called. I heard about your diagnosis. And he said, would you come out to my house, and would you pray 
And so I said, sure. And uh, I was reluctant. I had this weird thing going on in my heart. And um, it took about a week for me to set the time up and appointment, but I went out and I visited Coach Rowe 25 years later after our junior year. He has a diagnosis. And there was something about, I think, the diagnosis that actually softened my heart to him. He was no longer this coach and authoritative, like, monster that I had him, but he was a broken man. And I walked into his living room, and his wife, beautiful wife, beautiful chair, she, she left the room immediately, and we're sitting in these two recliners, and he said, hey, before we talk about my diagnosis, I want to talk to you about something else. And I said, what's that, coach? He said, I want to talk to you about your senior year in high school. I said, well, what do you want to talk about? He goes, Mike, you didn't need a coach. You needed a father, and I need you to forgive me. Here I am at 42, sitting in coach's room. I just break down crying. And as I break down crying, he breaks down crying. And I said, you need to forgive me. I was a punk 17-year-old. And we start hugging. His wife comes out with communion. And we took communion together. And we pray. And we start a new friendship. And from 2018 to 2020, uh, I got to talk to Coach almost once a month, if not more so. Uh, Heard reports he was getting better and better and better. Um, But as cancer, just such a weird deal. He took a turn for the worst uh, the spring of 2020. And um, Jerry called me and said that Coach had been sent home on hospice about the time that uh, COVID hit. We were in quarantine. And I said, well, I'm still believing for a miracle. We were all believing for a miracle. And um, the miracle didn't come uh, the way that we thought it would. In April of 2020, Coach passed. And uh, the day of his passing, Jerry called me. This is his wife and said, hey, uh, coach is with Jesus. I said, praise God. And we prayed on the phone. And um, she said, I, I, have, I have, coach wanted to ask you one thing. Um, if this happened, he didn't want to ask you before his death. But uh, there was one last thing he wanted from you, Mike. He, he wanted you to officiate his funeral. And so uh, while everyone was in quarantine of April of 2020, I went to a funeral home in North Texas. It was very small, and uh, it was just Coach Rose's family and maybe a friend or two and a camera, and they streamed it on Facebook. And I got to share this testimony that I just shared with you via Facebook, preach the gospel to thousands of his former students. Some were friends of mine who knew me but didn't know the story that had taken place, and many of them had had a similar experience with Coach Rowe, and they all got to encounter God's mercy and his love through what happened in our relationship. It was the power of forgiveness, the power of acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the blame, and then releasing them. Uh, Coach Rowe afforded me that in his living room when he said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me for the way I treated you your senior year? I had no idea I needed to forgive him in that capacity But the Lord in his mercy and his tenderness wanted that root of bitterness out of my heart. You know, this is the context in which the Lord presents himself as healer. I told you to turn to Numbers chapter 15. 
in Numbers 15. I'm sorry, I, I do this all the time. I get Numbers and Exodus confused. It's Exodus 15. <laughs> And verse 22, and this is, this is a pr- pretty significant moment um, in the Exodus story. Uh, up until this point, up until verse 22, um, the Egyptians have been a main character in the narrative. The Egyptian slavery, deliverance from the Egyptians, um, they were... They were they had such a large presence. And in Numbers chapter 15, at the beginning of it, um, there's this, this moment of worship where um, the Red Sea had crashed, uh, the Egyptians were killed, there was deliverance, and this, uh, this epic worship scene ensues. In fact, the first half of Exodus 15 is called the Song of Moses. And this was such a significant moment that we read of this song being sung in heaven in the book of Revelation. It says that the song of Moses is sung in heaven because of this moment. So this is a pretty extravagant worship moment. You got Miriam on the tambourine, she's dancing, and they're dancing because God has delivered them from 400 plus years of captivity. And In Exodus chapter one, verse 14, the Bible says that their lives, because of the Egyptians, were embittered. That because of their enslavement, because of the forced labor that they were under, that their lives were embittered. It was all that they knew was a life of bitterness because of the pain that was inflicted and the anger that they harbored towards those that enslaved them. Bitterness is all that they knew. In fact, Exodus one says, Uh, that they were embittered. Exodus 2 is an example of what bitterness had done to Moses, that Moses, in his anger, gets so mad at an Egyptian for abusing an Israelite that he kills him. He buries him. And then you see two Israelites later in that chapter arguing, and Moses confronts them. And then one of them says, are you going to treat us the same way you treated that Egyptian yesterday? And so Moses goes into hiding. Exodus 3, he's called from 40 years of being a shepherd, and then you have the Exodus account. So here in Exodus chapter 15, after deliverance has occurred, look at where the Lord takes Israel. This is so imperative for us to see. Look at verse 22, Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, And they went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. So when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. He threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statue and regulations and there he tested them. Verse 26, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I've put on the Egyptians for I, the Lord, am your healer. 
This is the first time in the Bible that God describes himself as a healer. They had known him as deliverer. And there's a name, there's a specific name for God being a deliverer. It's Jehovah Methalt. That's him being a deliverer. But Jehovah Rapha is being introduced here in Exodus 15. And it reemphasizes the point that just because they had been delivered out of Egypt, Egypt hadn't been delivered out of them. Just because they had been delivered from the problem and the pain, the residue of that pain and the residue of that anger had not fully been healed and dealt with. And the Lord took them to the waters of bitterness because he wanted to put in their mouths the taste of what was inside of their hearts. He wanted to take them to the familiar, familiarity of the, the taste of bitterness and what they had been under the influence of for some 400 years because it had been passed down from generation to generation to generation. If you have a family feud, if there's a family feud, if there's hostility in a family and, and kids grow up around that hostility, it will only breed more hostility in the future generations. And all that these guys had known was systemic, systemic abuse from the Egyptians, which had rooted bitterness generationally in the Israelite people. And God immediately takes them to Mara and he says, listen, I need to heal your hearts from the pain of what they've been through. You can't take this into where I'm taking you. And this was a test for them. Now, they would not pass this test. <laughs> this generation would actually die in the wilderness. And God would raise up another generation led by Joshua and they would go into the promised land. But in the same way, the Bible says, be angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is Hebrews chapter three. It says, today, if you hear his voice, don't what? Harden your heart. This is the same account. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harbor what is within your heart when the voice of the Lord comes to take it out. <laughs> and so this is so crucial to see how he heals them of bitterness. In, in verse 25... When Moses cries out to the Lord, look how the Lord leads Moses to heal them of their bitterness, and he turns their bitterness into sweetness. In verse 25, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And Moses cut down that tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Now, you know what this points to. It... it it could have been anything. It could have been a reed. It could have been a tunic. It could have been anything that he threw into the water. But the Lord said, no, you're going to throw the tree into the water. And as he threw the tree into the waters, those bitter waters became sweet. And so here's what I started doing. I started asking the Lord, Lord, I, I think this is pointing to Calvary. There was a tree on Calvary. And... and the cross is the work of salvation, and the work of salvation is sufficient. It's sufficient to redeem us wholly. And so I started looking at the cross and doing a forensic on the death of Jesus, looking at what he endured and what he went through, and I thought, well, Lord, is bitterness 
a part of the cross. Where is bitterness a part of the cross? As I started reading it, I, I found where bitterness is redeemed. And it's in Matthew 27. Because in Matthew 27, this is such a powerful moment. Uh, there was a drink offered to the Lord in, in Matthew 27, verse 33. And two different times, drinks, drinks were offered to the Lord. The, the first time it was offered, uh, it, was, it was a mixture of wine and, and gall, which would have made the wine very bitter. And this, this it was actually, uh, it was actually something that the Roman soldiers would do to numb the pain of the one being crucified. So it was, it was a, kind of an act of mercy almost so that they wouldn't be as uh, sensitive to what they were about to go through. It was a narcotic. It was a numbing or it stupefied the, the, the victim if they digested this solution. And so they, in, in Matthew 27, verse 33, look, they, they went and they came to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. But look at this in verse 34. They gave him the wine mixed with bile to drink or mixed with the gall. So they gave it to him to drink. And it says, after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink it. After tasting it, he was unwilling to drink it. So here was what the, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, he said, I've tasted the bitterness, but I refuse to drink it. I've tasted it, but I did not digest it. I've tasted it, but I didn't come under the influence of it. He spit it out. And immediately after this, if you hop to Luke's account, because... Uh, uh, Matthew's account says that they guarded, uh, they, they divided up his garments right after he spit the, 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 the bitterness out. And in Luke's account, it says he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He, he, he was refusing. He was refusing to come under the influence of bitterness in, in light of what they were doing to him. Father, forgive them. His eyes were on the Father. It was, it was the Father's love through him and then him looking at his Father and saying, Father, would, not I forgive you, but Father, would you forgive them for what they're doing to me? That the father was the source of this love. Father, would you forgive them for what they're currently doing to me right now? There's, there's, there's something about acknowledging the pain and the blame. Acknowledging, acknowledging, wow, that hurt, and you're responsible for this hurt. Like that's step one in moving towards forgiveness. And Jesus hanging on the cross. The, the soldiers were the ones to blame for the pain that he's enduring. And yet, even, even in that moment, he's forgiving those that are causing the pain. It's like a supernatural act of mercy and forgiveness. Uh, 
Let me, let me lead you to one other account of someone that I think modeled forgiveness uh, like few. It's, it's, it's Joseph. Go to Genesis chapter 45. You're familiar with the story of Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers. He had every right to be embittered towards them. Yet, as I started studying forgiveness, I saw the message of forgiveness towards the end of his life, especially towards his brothers. And in Genesis 45.1, he's gonna confront his brothers. It says, then Joseph could not control himself in front of everyone standing before him. And he shouted, have everyone leave me. So there was no one with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Then he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. They came closer to them and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold to Egypt. And do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me ahead of you to save lives. This is him presenting to his brothers a heart that had already walked through the process of forgiving them. Can I give you five points to forgiveness really quickly? Okay, the first one, and all of these are in uh, the story of Joseph. Uh, I could show you these in Matthew 18, which is the story of the, the servant that was forgiven much. It's threaded throughout. But the first one, and Joseph does this, he acknowledges the pain and blame. So number one is acknowledge the pain and the blame. Acknowledge the pain and the blame. Joseph says this, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. You did this. You caused me to be here. You're responsible One, acknowledge the pain and the blame. Uh, The second thing in moving towards forgiveness, this is complete forgiveness. Sometimes I think forgiveness is just tongue in cheek. Like, I forgive you. I was like, I do this with my five-year-old and seven-year-old all the time. Get in my office. You sit in this chair. You sit in this chair. What do you do? Okay, what are you going to say? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I'm just trying to teach them that a response to the pain is that you forgive. Now, is it on a heart level? No. It's just, okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, can we go back to running around? Right, And I think sometimes we do this when it comes to the pains. We just, yes, I've forgiven him. Okay, but, but, but let's talk about what complete forgiveness looks like. Because if I mention that person's name, it doesn't seem like you've forgiven them. And the way you're talking about that church doesn't seem like you've forgiven them. Like the pain that they caused you, it seems like you've brought that here. And, and inevitably, what, what, when you harbor bitterness, it's a poison to your soul because of the pain, and you're not entrusting that pain to the Lord. Forgiveness is an act of trust. And oftentimes we can't surrender because we actually think we're better at dealing with the pain ourselves than surrendering to the Lord, and that only hurts us. And Joseph wasn't doing this. So we acknowledge the pain and the blame, and then the second thing is we have to identify with the person's humanity that hurt us. You identify with their humanity. You identify with their brokenness. You identify that, 
they're broken like you are, that wounded people wound people, hurt people hurt people. And I think he does this by identifying with their humanity by, by declaring, I am your brother. I'm still your brother. Even though you disowned me and sold me, I'm still your brother. And then I also think it's really crucial to see that he says, I am Joseph. The first thing he asks about is his father, whom is their father, which reminds me of Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. And one of the reasons I think Joseph learned to forgive or got to the point of forgiving his brothers is that he constantly kept his father before him. So identify with uh, their humanity. Number three. So one, acknowledge the pain. Two, identify with their humanity. Number three, you refuse to take revenge. You refuse to take revenge. This happened, I think, when Joseph cleared the room out. He told all the Egyptians to get out. Um, I think these associates would have avenged Joseph's wrong. And I think he protected his brothers by removing everyone out of the room. He refused to take revenge. Number four is that in order to go to complete forgiveness, we have to be willing to endure the pain that someone inflicted. So you're acknowledging the pain, you're acknowledging the blame, but that doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the wrong that they did and now the consequences of that wrong. This is probably the toughest one is we oftentimes think, because I've forgiven, I'm no longer going to be in pain. But that's not true. (laughs) It's not true. The actions of another have consequences, and sometimes we have to bear the consequences of their actions even though we've forgiven them. This is Jesus. Jesus is doing that. He's enduring the cross, but he's forgiving the ones that put him on the cross as he's dying. Joseph, he, he... He had to have gotten to a place, this is a heart that's processed forgiveness. When his brothers are in front of him, he's not giving it to his brothers. His brothers actually in in chapter 50 are afraid of Joseph. They don't think the forgiveness is is thorough. It's it's finished because after, after Jacob dies, the brothers come to him and they're pleading again, hey, are you gonna take revenge? Are you still holding a grudge? And Joseph answers him in, in, in Genesis 50. He says, no, no, I'm not. Don't be afraid. I will not. I will not take God's place. I will not sit in God's seat. Joseph had surrendered fully the pain and endured that pain. Decades of slavery, imprisonment, his whole life was defined by their betrayal. Uh, but God used that pain to position him. And then the, the, the fifth thing and the final step to forgiveness, this is complete forgiveness, complete forgiveness. Say complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness is that you bless those. You bless them. You move into a place where you actually can extend blessing to them. You can pray for God's blessing and his best for them. In Joseph's Life, he told his brothers that I'm going to provide for you. He, he, he sent them to the land of Goshen during a time of fan, famine. He changed their current plight and the generations after them. He forgave them. He gave them what they could not provide for themselves. He actually blesses them. He positions them to be blessed. And if you can get to this place, you've truly, you've truly processed, walked through the process of forgiveness. And I think this is just a crucial, 
thing for uh, us to know how to handle the pains and wrongs of the past so that they don't show up tomorrow. So that they don't show up tomorrow. Um, in fact, l- look at one last verse in Genesis chapter 50. We love the Bible. Genesis 50. I mentioned this earlier, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge? Even though he already told them, don't be angry. This is, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and he pays us back in full for all the wrongs which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father, <laughs> they're bleeding on behalf of the father. Your father charged before he was... Uh, before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servant of the God of your fathers. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. In verse 18, he says this, uh, then his brothers came, fell down before him, said, behold, we are your servants. And then 19 is the key. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Am I to sit in God's seat? As for you, you meant evil against me. But look at the perspective that Joseph had, but God meant it for good. What did God do? He turned the bitter into sweet in Joseph's life. He got a higher perspective. You know, God doesn't cause all things, but God causes all things to work for good. God doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work for his good, which means the pain of yesterday, today, could provide purpose for tomorrow. Some of the people that are some of the greatest uh, uh, heralds for justice and ambassadors of justice, kingdom justice, have actually faced some of the worst injustices. And it provided a purpose for them, a righteous purpose. But here's what the Bible says. It says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, which means anger can't be a motivator. It has to be a heart that's been liberated from the pain of the past in order to be motivated by love. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to pray for those that need healing in their hearts, need bitterness to be flushed out, that harbored anger towards a situation, a person. Uh, you know, we, we just walked through this. Uh, we did a, a five-week series back in Dallas on this topic. It's probably been one of the most fruitful series we've done in some time. And one of the things that came up over and over and over again is that uh, people needed to forgive God. For a situation in the past, they, they, they blamed God for for that. If he is who he says he is, then how could this have happened? It's not that God needs your forgiveness, but sometimes we need to acknowledge our offense towards the Lord. And, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to uproot any bitterness, any anger that's been aged. that the love of the Father, the love of your Father, 
that it would search you and know you and that, Lord, just with that exacto knife, with your, your, your holy just magnifying glass searching our hearts, Lord, would you bring up situations or people, Lord, that we need to forgive? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and liberate? If that's you, if there's just a specific person, like you, you, you feel like the Lord's really dialing in on, on, on a moment in time, something that has just been harbored, and it's painful, and you can acknowledge that pain, and you can associate the blame with that person, could I, could I just ask you to stand to your feet? If, if, there's a, if there's a person to blame for that pain and that wrong, I want to ask you to stand to your feet. I feel like the Holy Spirit is going to really uproot. And, and I, I... I feel like one of the things that I didn't mention earlier, but I want to mention it now is... is is a part of surrendering, part of surrendering that pain, part of surrendering that person, handing them and giving them over to the Lord is, is, really, is really that you stop talking about it, you stop processing it with other people, that, that you, really, you really fully and wholly give it to the Lord. That there's this closure that comes by you going, you know what, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to willingly endure the pain that they caused. I'm going to not, I'm, I'm not going to avenge. I'm not going to take revenge. I'm entrusting, I'm entrusting them to you. I'm surrendering them to you. I will not sit in your chair, Lord. Lord, you have forgiven me. And the forgiveness that you've given me, I'm going to extend to them. The forgiveness that, that I've received, Lord, I know I can give. And I just pray freedom right now for anyone standing up, Lord, that you would, you would sever ties of offense, sever ties with bitterness. Lord, we want to fully yield and surrender to your Lordship over this pain. And that Jesus and its church would be a church that's known for this. It's known to keep short accounts. It's known to not harbor offenses that we won't do that towards leaders. We won't do that towards staff members. We, we choose to believe the best. We choose to see the best. Love believes all things. Love endures all things. Love hopes in all things. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Just as he has forgotten your past, we're declaring, Lord Jesus, we want to surrender the pains of our past to your Lordship. And I just, just declare it I just sense something in the spirit over Jesus' image that there's a crossing over that that which has been bitter will become sweet. That this is the place where the bitterness of life becomes sweet. It's going to be, it's going to be an, a, a massive uh, attribute of Jesus' image is that the bitter is turned to sweet. The bitter is turned to sweet. The bitter is turned to sweet that those that have been hurt by religious systems, those that have been hurt by authoritative, just weird, wonky 
styles of leadership in churches, that this is a place where they will find healing in community, in life, in their hearts, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that you're doing that even now. And for those standing up, I just, just if you would surrender, to say, Lord, I surrender this person, this friendship, this relationship, this wrong. And that you, you would give them peace right now. judgments that we've made towards those people. Vows that say, I'll never talk to them again. We, we just break any vows that we've made internally. And Lord, we receive your love. We receive your forgiveness. And Lord, we extend that. Lord, we extend that. The, the, the forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift that you're giving to yourself. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is a gift. Trust is earned. If trust has been broken, it needs to be earned. But forgiveness is for your heart. Forgiveness is for your sake. Forgiveness is for your healing. Forgiveness does not make the intolerable tolerable. Forgiveness does not make the reprehensible irreprehensible. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is you saying, I cannot, I cannot make this wrong right, but Lord, I'm entrusting it to you to make it right. And whether you do that tomorrow or in the age to come, I trust that, that vengeance is yours, as it says in Romans chapter 12, that you will make every wrong right. And, and <laughs> because you're a faithful and righteous judge, you're good at that. That's what you do. And so this is our act of worship today. And we can declare, he who the Son set free is free indeed, that we have been set free. Lord, supernaturally, would you bestow grace upon every heart in this room to not fall short of the grace you've provided for this area in their heart. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.